It's that time of the week again. You are about to participate in a great adventure. It's that time when the latest episode of Digital Kill the Radio Star drops. Drop? What the hell do you think you're doing? It's time to waste another hour or so with David and Chris. Oh my God! As they spout out more of their worthless music knowledge. I wouldn't do that if I were you. It's time to hear them discuss the music of their youth. It's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. As well as the music of today. Excuse me while I whip this out. So kick back, relax, and have some fun with David and Chris. Who are those guys? Digital Kill the Radio Star starts. Come on, quit stalling! All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Digital Kill the Radio Star podcast. As always, I am one of your hosts, David. And as we all know, Chris absolutely hates jam band music more than almost anything other than bro country. So uh, he doesn't uh, like to sit in on these, and I don't try to torture him with that. Don't worry. I got somebody cool to uh, step in for him. All right, so everybody knows I'm a massive Widespread Panic fan. I've talked about that ad nauseum. One of my favorite bands, easily one of the best live bands I've ever seen. Got into them in college. and just still listen to them a lot. So I, I found somebody to come on here and, and talk with me about them. And it's my good buddy, Sam Soupy that I met through the state of America podcast. So Sam, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, David. Great. Yeah. Sam and I got to know each other through my black crows podcast and he's one of our patrons on there. And I forgot exactly how I found out he's such a big fan. I think he sent me something like, if you live in the South and you're a widespread panic fan, that's like living in Orlando and loving Disney. They're right. It's true. <laughs> now you live in Pennsylvania, or- right? Yeah. And that's why I, I say that with a tinge of jealousy because panic is notoriously bigger in the South than they are in the North. And they, and for years and years and years, their touring, their touring docket would totally, you know, favor the South, which I understood that was their bread and butter. So like, us northerners up here would look at those tour dates with insane jealousy every year when they would come out. <laughs> I guess one of the places they play probably closest to you on a regular basis is like Wilmington, North Carolina. I yeah, mean, they, I mean they they they've done a pretty good job of hitting uh, New York City the last few rounds since they scaled back their tour, and they they do like you know they're into this thing now where they're just doing a lot of weekend residencies in in their major markets, and they've been doing a lot at the Beacon Theater in New York, so that's been nice the last, last three four years. Have you been to any of those? I haven't gotten to them just because the um, circumstances just didn't allow me to get there, whether it was work or family stuff. But um, I've seen them at the Beacon in the past. And I mean, I'm not averse to driving to see them. I've driven to North Carolina to see them. A couple of years ago, they headlined the Peach Festival. Uh, 2017, they played two nights. I got to see them at both of those. So, um, you know, they get here occasionally. It's the same as it is down south for you guys. But 
it is what it is, man. How many times have you seen them? You know, I'd, I'd have to look through my through my notes, but I've seen them easily over 40 times since 1999. Know the first time my first show was eleven twenty three ninety nine in Philadelphia. I've seen them probably about 40 times since then. Well, that's um, I mean, that's impressive Roughly. for somebody that you claim yeah. they aren't up your way a whole lot. Well, I mean, it basically what it is is whenever they do get up here, and don't forget they they they're road dogs. I mean, they're not as much as they they're used destination to be. They band. Scaled now. back a lot. I mean, they're now destination they are, yeah. band. Since yeah. 2017, since 2017, they're doing that more of a destination thing. But right up through 2016, they would hit Philly at least once a year, New York at least once a year. You know, Delaware surrounding areas. Um, they they hit it hard for years, so. It was pretty easy to see. Yeah, them. I'm really excited. They're going to be playing Memorial Day weekend here, and so we're going to get a Sunday night Memorial Day weekend show. I got to think that one's going to be. That'll be great. That's awesome. And Go whenever they guys, whenever they play here, they always break out some Beanland songs. You know, JoJo's first band yeah. that he had with uh, yep. um, George, George McConnell. So mm-hmm. um, that's always cool. And, and JoJo lived down here for I don't know twenty something years. He did um, Oxford, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I. <laughs> I uh, was driving a when I was an undergrad. I was driving. I was working at a pharmacy, and I was driving a delivery truck, delivering medications to people. And I just about ran over him one time. So, <laughs> Glad you didn't. <laughs> that would have been that would have that would have been bad. So when did you yeah. get into them? You said you started seeing them in 1999. When did you first? Yeah, get I would into say them? the mid the mid nineties. I sort of got on that track where I was getting into more of the jam bands, Grateful Dead's and Fishes and all that, and um, they just appealed to me on a level that the other bands didn't because there's something about their songwriting and their musicality. That's not as, I don't want to say goofy or as bubbly, but they just always occupy like a harder edge to their sound than some did. And that always appealed to me and they could do it all. You know, they have their delicate, you know, quote unquote, pretty side too. But I mean, to me, panic has always been a little bit more of a dirty rock band than a lot of the jam bands have been. And, you know, John Bell's vocal style isn't for everybody, but he's definitely a more of a soulful vocalist. And I feel like they sing about real life more than the other bands did. And um, I really got into them because of that uh, album release show they did in Athens, Georgia in 1998. They put a video out of that and it was on something that I got to see it. And it really piqued my interest. Said, this is that band that I have an older brother that's into the same kind of music as I am. And he liked them before me. And I said, oh, this is why it's for Panic. Geez, this looks really cool. 100,000 people in the middle of the street watching this band that, you know, is not even that well known, tearing it up. Um, I got to check this out. And I bought the Light Fuse Getaway live album. And that was the end. Went down the rabbit hole and never came back. <laughs> that was it. That to you me know, was such a buying everything. Such a big moment for me in, in my music um, history, I guess, because there was a place there in Oxford. Uh, it was the kind of place that you could go, go buy bongs, but they didn't sell marijuana, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the guy sold all these bootleg cassettes of of Panic. I mean, he just had hundreds and hundreds of them. You know, and some of them would sound good, and some of them was yeah. terrible. But when you got Light Fuse Getaway, that was the first time that my hands had ever gotten on anything that was properly mixed and mastered live from them. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It was the largest CD release party in history probably still is yeah i i'll have to um i'm going to athens again in april to see the drive-by truckers so the truckers play at the 40 watt which is literally where the Mm -hmm. stage was 
Uh, mm-hmm. The stage was right next door to the 40 watt. I love on that video. There's a guy literally like hanging from uh, a <laughs> power pole, you know, by the yes. street, street. It's lamp. insane. Yeah. And the, yeah. and the mayor is like, don't destroy my town. You know, yes. um, yeah. it, amazing. Like you said, no radio play or anything like that. And they just built this following and they released this album. And then they release an album from, the recording of the album release party, you know, right. you can get, yeah. you can get that, <laughs> yeah. get that, but there's a CD of that. I, I know. Yeah. To me, the, the grassroots thing is incredible. I mean, they're the band who has played the most shows ever now at Red Rocks. And I mean, 60 sellouts. sellouts. Yeah. Whatever it is now at this number, it's, it's just insane. Now, have you been out there anyone, for a panic show? I haven't. That's a bucket list thing. We talk we need about to, it. Every, we need to coordinate that at some oh point. Oh my God. I, I want to so bad. And um, it's, I'm getting closer. If not this, I don't know if I'm going to make it this summer, but I'm trying to maybe think about next summer. But uh, well, I'm going. In, I'm going in I September to. to Colorado and Utah, basically most of the West, with my wife on like a mm-hmm. driving tour. And I told her mm-hmm. if anything is at Red Rocks, we're going. I don't care what it if yeah. it's you know if it's Britney Spears, I'm going to Red Rocks. <laughs> you haven't so been there all I, yet? Uh, no, I, I've driven past it, but we're going to go, and I believe it's um, Band of Horses and. Um, the revivalists are going to be cool. there. So yeah. we're going to go see, see. go see that. Mm-hmm. All right. So they start off in Athens, Georgia, Dave schools, Mikey Hauser, John bell, Todd Nance, and they record space Wrangler, their first album, which has a lot of live staples still on it that they play some, not so much. It was a good album. If you ask me, obviously the production value wouldn't be what some of the other ones are. And the lineup wasn't, fleshed out we still had uh sunny to add and jojo to add put out their second album um most people refer to it as mother's kitchen or mom's kitchen or, or something mom's like kitchen, that it's, yep. it's yeah. the you know it's the it just says widespread panic on it really has some good music on it and i think it was after that album when jojo became like a full-time member and it was they, yep. they put out every day after that which a lot of a lot of panic fans think that's their High Watermark. Obviously, the songs on there are stellar. It's got Diner, which is one of my favorite songs. Hatfield, which is a huge concert song for them. But then they put out Ain't Life Grand. And so what Sam and I are going to do is we each pick two albums that we're going to discuss a little bit. And so I thought we'd just kind of go in chronological order. Ain't Life Grand's the one that got me into the band. I was a freshman in college and I heard Airplane. And I was like, wow, what is that? And, you know, I was a freshman and people, you never heard of widespread panic. I'm like, no, I've never heard of widespread panic. And so, uh, got into them and luckily they were playing there like two or three months later and got to see them live, played a song that they've hardly ever played before to close out to very end. It's called tacos are cheap, but pizza is expensive. I think they've only played it like once or twice, but anyway, that was, that was cool for my first show, but ain't life grand, I think is, uh, would be a good starting point for people to get into the band because it showcases a little bit of everything. You've got songs like blackout blues, which is Jojo Herman, just ripping it up on piano and hit. Most of his songs are usually lighthearted with a little humor in it. Obviously it's a story of a, a wild night out there in, in, in Mississippi at some point. And then you've got songs like heroes, which is a straight up classic rock sounding song. And then you've got, of course, Airplane, which usually when Hauser was in the band was a very long jam, very mellow, cool sounding song. Ain't Life Grand sounds like something like could almost be like a Western 
um, a song about the West, you know, and then you've got uh, the instrumental LA and you've got raise the roof, which hardly ever gets played. And you got junior, which is about junior Kimbrough. And if you know anything about the Hill country blues, Jojo Herman was real big with junior Kimbrough and those guys and was a big supporter of them. But I always thought that was a really cool song. It's got kind of some dirty guitar into it, but um, what are your thoughts on ain't life grand? It's funny. I, I went through an exercise today because I knew which four records we were going to talk about. And I purposely listened to them all while driving for work today. And um, I hadn't listened to Eight Live Grand, I have to tell you, in a while. And man, it just comes. Their albums, and this is no exception, are all sonically so well produced. Most of them by John Keane. They just sound great. They sound great in a car. They sound great on a stereo. They sound great out of your Bose speakers, whatever. Sonically, they're they're really flawless. They're they're so good, and and I think that they get such a reputation as a live band and the jam band and all that. That you know, a lot of these jam bands, nobody really talks about the studio outputs of these bands because it's all about the live thing and the set lists and the jams. They're they're a really good studio band. The songs are well crafted. Um, I love the record. I mean, I I always liked it. The song that hit me the hardest for some reason, which I'm never loved was raise the roof mike hauser's playing on that the the like solo coming out of it and the acoustic work it's just it's so tasteful and it's so it's just so well done um you know mikey was a very acquired taste as, as a vocalist because he was a very shy individual and i don't think he loved the spotlight almost a had a songwriter. monotone for almost had a monotone voice yeah i mean he was he was not going to confuse anybody with with freddie mercury i mean he was not a singer singer but what he did, he did so well. Um, and that song really hit me just as like a man I, and sort of an overlooked kind of gem. And of course, um, I, I love LA. Um, they have Randall Bramlett on there as a guest performer with some sax on that. And that's an older song. They were playing that back when they first formed in like the late eighties and it didn't make a record till 94. That's another thing I love about panic is that, you know, they just amass these songs and then they would record them in batches and, you might get a song on a record that they wrote, you know, 10 years ago and have been road testing for 10 years. And now they decide to put it on an album. Kind of reminds you of the Black Crows. Was, yeah, very similar. I mean, yeah, Black Crows, The Dead, The Fish, they all do it. I mean, it's all very, um, it's a very similar mindset. Like, you know, the song is, you know, the records almost don't matter, but but they really do when they make them as well as, as Panic does. And I love Airplane. Um, like you said, that's a song that hit you the first that song becomes such a jam vehicle live that um, it's always been one of my favorites for sure. Yeah, I, I agree with you. They, their, their sound to me in the studio just got better and better. Obviously they probably had more money, you mm -hmm. know, <laughs> to, um, to, to spend on recording, but yeah, just a, a really good album. It's one that this until the medicine takes, if I, if people are like, I don't want to listen to widespread panic, those would be what I would dip my toe in the water with. Like you said, Mikey Hauser, at around this time, he started sitting down when he played. I think he hurt his knee and then found he could use that volume pedal a lot more effectively and essentially created maybe the most unique sound that nobody has ever copied before on guitar. I agree 100%, and that's why he was such a, besides being a songwriter and the such a creative force in the band, his style was nearly impossible i'll say that it was impossible to replicate well nobody's been able to do it, it. Was, yeah it's just it's impossible and i mean they've got right now they've got one of the best guitarists on the planet and i mean he doesn't even bother trying to do it because there really is no point mikey was that unique and 
Um, I'll never forget when he when he passed away. I mean, it was just like, man, are they ever gonna be able to, you know, find anything close to that? Or and then obviously have, the answer was no. <laughs> I have always felt so sorry for George McConnell. Yes, yeah, that's replacing Derek deal. Jeter in New York. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you don't ever want to be the guy, but uh, hats off to him for trying. And I've always yep. heard that that's who Hauser told him to go with. Yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, I've read different things. I, I mean, I. It's funny because I, I did a little reading today googling past articles and things like that and, and um there's a re- there's a great interview with jimmy herring on swampland.com with uh, james kalemine who is a really good southern writer that really chronicles a lot of widespread panic and he's got a jimmy herring interview on there from 2009 where jimmy says they approached him as soon as mikey got sick and he just could not do it because he was he had so many commitments with the dead and phil lesh at that time mm-hmm. it was just impossible so his schedule didn't open up again until 2006, and that's when he finally joined. Panic. We know, so, and it's a band um, that's so notoriously tight-lipped. I mean, yep. you, you just never yeah. really know. I mean, they kept, they never. I don't think they ever publicly acknowledged that Mikey was sick. They and didn't. They didn't address his ill. They didn't address his illness until he left the tour, and to in in like, and that was a month before he passed. So I mean, it was really. I mean, the whole fan community knew it, and all everything was out there, but. They never said when you could just look at him too. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's that summer was was rough. Not, not in good shape. I I love that last show that he played at red rocks Mm -hmm. and there, I forget the song and he's playing and you see John bell just look over there. Like this is, this is going to be the last time I hear this. It's so sad, but you could tell that Mikey was just having so much fun. So we talked about his guitar playing, but lyrically most of his songs come with a bit of humor to them. Mm -hmm which yep. I've always thought was, was really good. And I actually enjoy his voice. I found it kind of, yeah. I found it kind of soothing. He reminds me a lot of Rich Robinson in that he knows how to stay in his lane or he knew yep. how to stay in the lane, his lane mm-hmm. with his voice and never try to never try to do anything that he couldn't do. I would agree with that. Yeah. His songs to me were definitely a little bit like eight light brand is a great example. It's this celebratory, you know, ain't you'd say, ain't life grand but that's also can be said with a tinge of irony and the song is musically like opposite of that it's minor key and it's um like you said almost like a cowboy song like this galloping western tinge song but it's just um he was definitely an interesting songwriter many many of his songs were like that i thought so i think they had their first national television appearance on conan o'brien at this time and they played can't get high yep you're right what's what's with conan's horn section it's yeah. actually pretty it's pretty awesome. It's on YouTube. We could find it. Yeah. So they I think this is when they first took their biggest leap forward as far as from playing maybe five, six, seven, eight hundred people to two or three thousand and you know, mm-hmm. at different places. And they come out with bombs and butterflies. Now, bombs and butterflies to me is an album you never really hear anybody talk about. It's got a couple of songs on it that that they play a lot, Greta and Rebertha mm-hmm. for a while, Radio Child. You saw it a lot, but I wouldn't call this album a misstep, but, but for me, it's probably this one in space Wrangler and, um, street dogs for breakfast are probably the three that I go back to the least. Um, Mm -hmm. they had ain't the video for Ann Avis, which I believe Billy Bob Thornton, um, directed, he directed Laura Dern's in it, a song with Vic chestnut, who we'll talk Mm -hmm. about him at some point in this episode, but Greta, I remember when that came out, and it's got Tallboy on it. So, I mean, that's two songs that, that, that people yeah. go absolutely crazy over. But what are your thoughts on Bombs and Butterflies? Like, I'm pretty much in lockstep with what you said. I think it was the next step in their evolution. 
but it definitely, I don't think they got to the next peak until the next record, which we're going to talk about until the medicine takes. But so, I mean, there's songs on there that are undeniable. I mean, tall boy is, you know, that's a song that people who don't even know the band might, might've heard it or seen, you know, everyone goes crazy when they play it. It's one of those, one of those signature songs and Greta Rebirth,a also signature tunes, but there's some dark horse songs in there that I like. I really like Gradle a lot and I like glory a lot. I saw them open a show with glory once in, 2001 um wilmington delaware and the place just went crazy because i mean it never opened with glory you know it was very cool so i'm kind of partial to that song and that album but uh like you said i mean next step in the evolution definitely not a step back but um you know not if i'm ranking the records it's probably in the bottom half instead of the top half for me well you mentioned greta and you mentioned tall boy so let's talk a second about jojo herman um, a guy from New York goes to school at Ole Miss for a bit, falls in love with Southern culture and uh, the Hill Country blues, but more importantly, stuff like Dr. John, kind of this New Orleans style. Professor Longhair. Yeah, yep. Professor Longhair, this New Orleans style music, forms a band with George McConnell called Beanland, which uh, was really big on the, the local college circuit at that point. And I think they opened for Panic a bunch, and that's how he got in with them. Uh, he has a style of piano playing that, he to me he's kind of almost the last of a dying breed with it Uh, it's very fun and very loose but also very very good and then his voice uh, like i said most of the stuff he sings has a tinge of humor to it but um Mm -hmm. it's never goofy like we were talking about some other jam bands can be so what are your thoughts on jojo to me he is as integral to their sound as anything what's it's it's funny because i mean there's there's a point in the band you know there's there's demarcations in the band's history and you know there's the post or there's you know there's mikey and post mikey and then there's you know pre post jojo and listening to the shows before jojo joined the band when there was no keys at all i mean it's just a completely different animal i mean he added such a flavor to the band that they were lacking um it really did he was the missing piece he really was um in well, and Sonny because... Sonny Ortiz, the percussionist, adds yep. a lot to it. I think he, he gets does. overlooked sometimes. If he wasn't there, you would definitely notice it. Definitely gets overlooked. I actually saw a show um, in 2007 that he missed when his father passed away. They were playing up here in the Northeast, and he missed the show. And it was very different without him. They had Wally Ingram come out and play like half the set on his percu- percussion kit, but there was a good chunk of the first set where there was no percussionist, and it was very different. He's Sonny's awesome. He adds a lot to the sound. All right, so they have a couple of years in between Bombs and Butterflies till the Medicine Takes. Now, till, till the Medicine Takes, I think, is their best studio album.
when I bought it and I listened to it on CD the first time, I was like, holy cow, they have they have done it. And so this is one of the albums that you pick. So I'm going to let you yep. lead the discussion on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, we want to talk about where the band was before that it's everything was building. Right. So they had ain't life grand. They had bombs and butterflies in 97 and all the touring they did in 97 was very strong. There's a lot of soundboards out there from those years that you could listen to where they were road testing. A lot of the songs that ended up until the medicine takes. And in the interim was when they had the light fuse getaway, live album came out in 98 and they had that massive release party with the hundred thousand people we spoke about so the momentum of this band was just building 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 i think they did their first european tour in the spring of 98 which they had never done before so all that momentum from 97 and 98 went into the recording and writing of this next album which i agree with is their studio uh high point it's the best record they've made so far I've seen a lot of people refer to it as the kitchen sink album because they really attacked it from a standpoint of they put a lot of extras on it. They've got dirty dozen brass band on one song. John Keane is playing pedal steel and banjo on a few songs. Uh, Dottie peoples and her choir gospel choirs on all time low. Uh, they have Colin Butler do scratching on dying man. I mean, this album was all over the place stylistically and from an overdub standpoint, they really went crazy, but it was never enough to take away from, still being widespread panic in my opinion it still sounded very much like them and the, the songs are just so strong i mean surprise valley out of the gate that's the only song on the record that wasn't performed beforehand i think bears gone fishing was only performed instrumentally before that album was released surprise valley got road debuted i think maybe three weeks before the record got released but everything else was road tested and um ready to go i think maybe the waker also was another one that they didn't play but
his son, whose name is Waker, and they just brought that back into the rotation about three years ago. Probably a hard song for them to play, you know, without Mikey and wondering if it's the right thing to do and all that. But they play it now, and it still sounds great. Um, but I love the record. I mean, I think another one I listened to today for this exercise we're doing, and it just it sounds as good today as it did in 1999. Man, it's just it's strong all across the board. You start off with Surprise Valley, Bears going fishing, and climb to safety. Yeah, I mean knockout right, after knockout after knockout yeah and then i absolutely love the waker that yes, song to it. me is so cool it's got this mm-hmm. really unique beat to it the lyrics are mm-hmm. sometimes kind of fun. like i love the part because i'm higher than you'll ever be of course the crowd goes nuts when whenever he sings mm-hmm. that but yeah it's about his about his son party at your mama's house i think is a great instrumental and it leads right into dying man and you got Colin yeah. Butler on there scratching uh, records. Did you ever think you'd hear something like that on a widespread <laughs> panic song? No. And you know what? It works. It doesn't, like I said, like it just doesn't, it doesn't even sound weird to me. It just sounds cool. It's almost like, uh, you know, I almost feel like you slipped, like somebody slipped in a Beastie Boys album, and but it's still widespread panic. You know what I mean? Like, but the scratching, it's just, it's funny. And part of your mama's house to me is their best instrumental. I don't, they've got a bunch of them. They're all really good. That's my favorite though. Um, and it's one that I really lamented when Mikey passed. I never thought I would hear it played properly again. George, God love him, just didn't have what it took to play that song live properly. And man, the first time Jimmy Herring attacked it, he did it flawlessly. And I'm so happy that to hear it in its all its glory again because it's a great jam vehicle when they play it live. Um, and I just love that song. Yeah, Dying Man, Colin Butler's band used to play at my fraternity house all the time big ass truck they're called right yeah yeah and everybody would get the stickers yeah. and put it on their vehicle um but th- there's another thing i think it's unique about this album. It's the first time we've heard todd nance take a lead vocal on you'll be fine which yep. was really surprising he like mikey has a very kind of tender sounding voice and you can tell even on the recording he was fairly tentative on it but to for me that makes the song even that much more special yeah they have a very similar voice i i thought and um it's it's a really cool song, and they and that's another one they they embellish in the studio. I think there's a string section on that song. It's just they really they just up. I don't know. They must have had a pretty good chunk of recording budget for this record because they threw everything that they could at it. Um, and one more thing on this record that we didn't talk about. We talk about JoJo a lot so far here in this episode. One Arm Steve is a killer song. A lot of True people story. don't like it. I love it. Yeah, I mean it's a you know One Arm Steve was a bouncer apparently at the Forty Watt. Um, you would know more about this maybe than me. But, no, yeah, uh, he, he, would, he wouldn't let the story. Uh, JoJo in because his picture wasn't on yeah. the Yeah, come back when band. your picture's on the wall is the lyric. And um, Promo. It's, yeah, it's a great song. And then the album closes with one of my favorite JoJo songs, Nobody's Lost, kind of a yep. a deep song for him, um, mm-hmm. a little bit of self-loathing, um, almost guy feels like he's a loser or something. It's kind of a yeah. sad, it's kind of a, <laughs> a sad song, but yeah, that album, if, if I were trying to tell people to get into them, that would be it. And like mm-hmm. we said, they, they release another joyous occasion with the dirty dozen, dirty, dirty dozen brass band after that, which is really phenomenal album, I think. And it's kind of overlooked a little bit, but they go on a couple years later to release a s- album that I think is, is very stellar as well. And that's don't tell the band. Now, yeah. 
this had a song that I really love by Mikey Hauser called This Part of Town. It's obviously the most serious song I think he's ever written. It's basically about homeless people and the less fortunate and kind of how uh, we all live in our own little world and don't necessarily um, pay attention to those people. And then it has a cover of a fire hose song called Sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um yep. Down another Todd Nance song. This is this is probably my favorite song that Todd Nance did. Big Willie Mammoth, which had been played a lot. Now it Forever. has yeah. it has um a song that I've never been able to wrap my head around and really like called Old Joe. Uh one of the few like that. But then you have Don't Tell the Band, which I think is Mikey Hauser at his best. Mm-hmm. Um basically it's uh him time jumping. Um through different world events and he's playing in a band at the time he's you know they're on the moon it's the civil war they're playing in the titanic just really fun song from him and then you've got imitation leather shoes which is a great song live now i thought george mcconnell did a great job on that song Um, he really got and then little lily laid back cool sweet vibe so don't tell the band what are your what are your thoughts real quickly on it I like Don't Tell the Band. To me, it was back to basics. It didn't have any of the studio embellishments that uh, Till the Medicine Takes had. And it was really just, you know, panic, six-headed monster. Um, again, some of that stuff was road-tested. Some of it wasn't. I know Don't Tell the Band was a brand-new tune for that record. Um, that song always makes me think of, it sort of became, so it's so it's the last song Mikey ends up playing on a studio album, the last song in the running order, last song on the record. And that lyric, don't tell the band, the devil's on his way. Uh, I remember a lot of people in the fan community back then talking about that being so ironic that that was the last thing he sang on the panic album because a year later he was diagnosed and he was on his way off the planet pretty much. And, you know, sort of became a, it was to me, I, they didn't bring that song back to the rotation until 2017. And I, I almost wonder if, if that was why because it's not a hard song to play you know what i mean and jb yeah. can sing anything he sang other mikey songs after he passed but it took them a long um, know a long time to bring that song back and i found that interesting you know all right so unfortunately he does pass not yep. long after that album came out and they take a couple of years off and i mean you know who who would have thought we'd live in a world where Mikey Hauser wasn't in widespread panic, but apparently his wishes were that the band had to continue. And so they released an album called ball and they had George McConnell on guitar that Jojo Herman's old friend from his Beanland days. And this is the first time they've recorded an album where none of the songs were road tested. And I kind of feel like they went into this, like we don't have anything to lose and that maybe the bar is set low. And I don't mean that in a derogatory standpoint. Uh, people have no clue what widespread panic would sound like post, you know, Mikey Hauser. This song to me is very hit or miss. What about you? What, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah. Ball was very hit or miss. And I think at the time it, it came out in 2003. So it only came out, you know, months he he passed in august of, tw- of 2002 this record came out in spring of 2003 so they really did sort of rush into it i think it was the only way for them to just sort of i think it was part of their grieving process just keep moving you know what i mean don't stand still keep going because they didn't yeah. take a hiatus after mikey passed till 2004 they did the ball record and they toured all of 2003 and then they took all of 2004 off so i mean ball was definitely a um 
I don't want to say rush job, but they definitely just went into the studio to see maybe what they could do without him. And it's it's got a couple songs on it that I like and that they still play live and a lot of them that they don't. There's a great song. I mean, Traveling Man, it was a song Mikey wrote and showed them. And I believe that's on ball. Um, I think it's the last song on it. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, it sounds like a Mike Hauser song. JB sings it. You could almost hear Hauser singing it, even though he's not there. It's a beautiful song. Um, just about being an on the road mus- musician, very Mikey sounding. Um, to me, it's the high point of the record and uh, one of my favorites, actually. Yeah, I remember getting this and and just being like, I, I don't know what this is going to sound like. I, yeah, I like uh, Papa Johnny Road. I like Counting Train Cars. Papa Johnny Road and Thin Air Smells Like Mississippi are two songs that they still play that work live. Definitely different. Um, you know, it's. I mean, how could they not be different? But they're. It's really different. It's just a different sound for them. I don't know how else to say it, but yeah, yeah. Those, those. And they have maybe the I, most. I, Go ahead. I was going to say John Bell, being who he is and what he is as a lyricist and a songwriter, definitely helped push him through that. Um, I think the song "County Train Cars" is a nice, cool, laid-back song they did some acoustic sets when they started that tour where they played first set acoustic mm-hmm. and that song was great in the acoustic set um just a nice little slice of life song you know watching the trains go by and all that it just worked from a lyrical standpoint for me but uh all right so there's some your... songs on there like sparks fly that you know awful <laughs> don't shoot me i like that song oh man somebody has to right yeah i mean i don't know I just do. And so what they did was after that, they released three live albums in one year, Night of yeah, Joy, they, which is with uh, Dirty, Dozen, Dirty Dozen Brass Band again. And then they released um, Uber Cobra, which is primarily an acoustic album. Um, it's all, yeah, all, all acoustic. Yeah, which I really liked. It had Can't Find My Way Home on it, City of Dreams, a great version of Nobody's Lost, a good version of Walk On, the kind of obscure neil young song and then they released live at uh myrtle beach i believe is the name of mm-hmm. it and jack Castle lantern which is a cover of i mean it's an album of live covers that they usually did around halloween um sympathy for the devil sweet leaves on there but like we said george mcconnell was in there and they go three years later and record an album called earth to america now i'll be honest with you this one is either sink or swim for me. Um, I really enjoy the song Second Skin. I really enjoy When the Clowns Come Home. I like um, Ribs and Whiskey and Good People. But after that, it's uh, it's a no-go for me. Yeah, that album, they so that was the first one when they deviated from the John Keane production style. They went with a guy named Terry Manning. And they recorded the album in the Bahamas. Um, and I think they just wanted to be isolated and really try to see what they could do with the six of them. On ball, a lot of that was John Keane playing guitar with George. And I think they wanted to see, you know, what they could do just with the six of them down there. And uh, I'm with you. Second Skin is a cool song. Um, good people. They still play today and it's it works. Uh, but there's not a lot on that record that I go back to. I do like May Your Glasses Be Filled, though. I like a good JB. I'm a sucker for John Bell ballads. I, I don't know why. I just think he, he does that kind of songwriting really well. And I, I really like it. I even like you talked about old Joe before on uh, Don't Tell the Band. I, I like that song, too. Well, this is a very JB heavy album. 
We did well. That I mean, listen, it was JB and Mikey is you know probably carried most of the heavy load of the songwriting. Right. So I mean, unless you know JoJo definitely, I think uh, he brought in. You should be glad, and I think he brought in good people because when they first started playing that, he was singing it. Then when this album came out, John Bell was singing it, which just tells me JoJo didn't want to sing on the studio version for some reason. But usually, nine times out of ten, in Panic, their songwriting credits are always given to the entire band. But you could tell who writes the song by who sings it. Usually, there are some exceptions, though. So, oh, yeah, yeah. So around this time, George McConnell is asked to leave, and, and Jimmy Herring steps in. And I mean, Jimmy's played with everybody, very, very well respected guitarist, but comes from a little bit more of a jazz background, so a little bit different of a guitar style. But they record "Free Somehow." Now, I'll be honest with you: "Free Somehow" has one of my favorite widespread panic songs on it, "Up All Night." Um, absolutely love that, but man, to me, they swung and missed with boom, boom, boom. Yep. It almost is like they were trying to get on the radio with that one. Some of the other songs I like on here are flicker dark day program. Her dance needs nobody. Um, and along with up all night are probably the ones I go to the most on this one. So, uh, what are your thoughts on free somehow? Yeah, they definitely swung and missed with boom, boom, boom. And they know they did. And you can tell that because I think they played that song five times that spring and never played it again. So that tells you all you need to know about boom, boom, boom. But um, I agree with you. I actually like the song Three Candles. I think that was one of Jimmy's first major contributions as a songwriter. I think it's mm -hmm. a cool tune. Uh, it's a different album. That's a weird, uh, that's produced by Terry Manning as well. And I don't know, the mix is a little muddy to me on that. More like it's not as not as clear sounding as the John Keane records, but um, it's an interesting record just because it this you know it's a band in transition. It's Jimmy's first record. Um, you know that that band from the time Mikey died until maybe Jimmy's second record with the band, which we'll talk about next. It really was a band in flux, in my opinion, and you could hear it, and you could see it. Um, seeing them in concert in those days was uh, it was a lot easier to see where they were going than it was listening to the records. I think Free Somehow is all over the place, but but it's a cool record. If you listen to it, I think if I listen to it today, I'd still definitely like it. All right. The next one that comes out, they wait a couple of years and they put out Dirty Side Down. So I picked this one to talk about. It's my second favorite album after Till the Medicine Takes. And I remember when it came out, actually, I was on one of my first dates with my wife. That's how I remember okay. buying that, put it in, and off the bat, St. X, I loved it. That song is recorded so perfectly. There's so many kind of almost like floating layers to it. You just kind of feel like you're, you're just riding the wave. And then the Jerry Joseph cover, North, they'd been playing that forever. Finally got it in the studio, did a great job on it. This Cruel Thing, which is a Vic Chestnut song. And let's talk about Vic Chestnut for a minute. He played yeah. a major role in, in this band. He was apparently like a just a local Athens guy. I think at some point he was in an accident and was partially paralyzed from like the chest down and didn't have real good use of his of his hands. But his songwriting style was completely unique with the cadence, the words that he used, the stuff that he talked about. And they had we should say they pretty much recorded they did record an album, two albums with him under the name uh, Brute. And um, it was all of his songs. A lot of them, they play live. This Cruel Thing, I don't know about you. He committed suicide, right? It was a perfect. Yeah. 
this song to me, I love it, but when you think about what happened to him, is a little unnerving. It's hard to listen to. Um, yeah, this album. So this album came out in 2010. He passed away at the tail end of. I think he died around the holidays of 2009. And this song is definitely their tribute to him. They even have his voice in the beginning of it, um, like a little vocal thing he does. And yeah, when you listen to this song, knowing what he went through in his life, and I, I don't know, I read somewhere about him where that wasn't the first time he tried to do it. And all. I mean, I don't get into that. I don't want to spread rumors or anything about the man. But I mean, apparently his, you know, his psyche was definitely messed up from the accident he was in. And um, just a really tragic figure. But I mean, anybody that I was just reading an interview with Jason Isbell where he was talking about how people say he writes such sad songs and he's his comeback was well you never heard of Vic Chestnut then because he's the best you know songwriter that kind of songwriting people he is like a songwriter songwriter the people that know songwriting know Vic Chestnut I never got into his solo stuff really at all um only knew him through the prism of widespread panic and those two records he made with them and his sit-ins with them and stuff but uh yeah, I think that song is incredible, uh, but it is very, very sad to listen to knowing what happened, and that's their tribute to him. And we get the final Todd Nance song, Clinic Cynic, which yep. I think is fun. It's got a little bit mm-hmm. of uh, some twisted humor to it. Get mm-hmm. the um, instrumental St. Louis. Then we get into Shut Up and Drive, which is a song that I really enjoy. True to My Nature is good. When You Coming Home is a JB ballad. Jaded Tourist, we got to give JoJo a song along with Visiting Day. But then it closes with Cotton Was King, which is probably one of their two or three most rock and roll songs, wouldn't you say? Just all-out rockers like this and all-time low? I would definitely say that. And anytime I've seen them live where they play Cotton Was King, it just it takes off on stage. It really does get the crowd moving, and it, it, it rocks hard. It's a really, a really good song. Um I love it. I really like that song. I like this record a lot. To me, this record is them getting, you know, they've been through all the transition. They got their weird sort of, we don't have Mikey anymore records out of the way. And this is John Keane back in the producer chair and them going back to what works, covering a Jerry Joseph song, covering a Vic Chestnut song. Visiting Day was demoed for the Don't Tell the Band album and never made it. They played it live for years before this. And this, this is a different arrangement of it. It's a totally different arrangement. And they used to play live. Sometimes they play the old arrangement live now. Sometimes they play the new one. It's really cool. It's like two different songs. I think that's really cool. Um, I enjoy St. Louis. I'm a sucker for their instrumentals. And I was hoping they'd write one with Jimmy. And that song developed from a jam. I think it's called St. Louis because the night they debuted it, I think the night that they sort of messed around with it was in St. Louis, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, this to me, this record is sort of them getting getting their feedback under them foundation it sounds excellent on vinyl it's yeah. one of the better vinyl sure. sounding albums i've ever heard mm-hmm. and then man they take a long break a long yeah. break um yeah. and come out with street dogs for breakfast now i know you like this album because you picked it as one of your yeah. two to discuss <laughs> um it is by far my least favorite album but i'm gonna let you attempt to sell me on it not sure I could sell you on it. I mean, maybe could you I'm a sell, sucker. Sell? Maybe yeah, maybe I'm a sucker for it because there was five years in between it and Dirty Side Down, and and I like this band's studio records so much that I was just so happy they made another one. So I I kind of listened wore wore it out when it came out. Um, I definitely 
don't like the fact that there are, let me see, one, two, three covers on it, which is a lot. Usually there's always one or two covers on their records. So that's not too crazy, but there were three on this one I thought was stretching it. But one what's thing the third? I, I know say, Honky Red and Tail Dragger are. Sell, sell, sell. That's a okay. that, that's a cover. That's a Alan, that's an Alan Price song. Um okay. they started covering that when they did the acoustic tour in 2012, and they lead their record off with it, which is kind of crazy to me. But um I think you know, this is another John Keene production. Um, what we didn't talk about though is in between they threw Todd Nance out of the band, and he's not on this record. This yeah. is the first record with Dwayne Trucks behind the drum kit. Um, and Todd has since passed. Um, I think he passed in 2020. But uh, I guess whatever he was going through, he took a hiatus from the band in the fall of 2014. Didn't play with them at all through 2015. They had Dwayne Trucks come in immediately and take his drum seat. And he, he Todd joined them again for the Mexico run in 2016. And then he was done forever. At that point, they said he was out of the band. Maybe they just wanted one last hurrah with him. I don't know. But Dwayne Trucks changes the band. Um, not so much on this record because I think it was his first, you know, foray into their world as far as being there, you know, being on a panic record. He's pretty straight, just keeps the beat like Todd used to. But in concert, I this is an unpopular opinion, probably because people, you know, Todd's the original drummer and all that, and he's one of the guys. But I think Dwayne Trucks is a technical better drummer than Todd Nancy. Definitely has more musicality and his you know his playing style is a lot different and he does add a lot to the band not saying that you know the Todd years were wonderful and he was a great player but uh I do enjoy what Dwayne brings to the band um, he hit he hits I hard he hits hard but he's he leaves a lot of space where you know Todd used to hit hard too but to me Todd was more with the two drummer system that they have Todd is just the meat and potatoes keeping the beat drummer occasional fill here and there while Sonny is doing everything else now it's like so it was like you know one guy was one arm and one guy was the other arm now I feel like they've got eight arms because Todd and Dwayne both do so much um it's just it's definitely a different rhythm section there's a great Jojo song on here I think um Street Dogs for Breakfast I don't know it's another goofy quirky humorous Jojo song about you know partying Street Dogs for Breakfast Whiskey Sours for Lunch living in the city. I heard he's, you know, was talking about New Orleans and New York in that song and um, a lot of cool imagery in that. Um, one thing I didn't talk about the covers. What I like about Panic is they don't just do covers and this goes for their whole career. They do obscure covers. So they've introduced me to songwriters like Jerry Joseph and Vic Chestnut and Danny Hutchins and the guys from Bloodkin. And mm-hmm. I mean, I never heard of Alan Price before Sell Sell. Um, the Honky Red, Murray McLaughlin, no idea who that is. That song may as well be a Widespread Panic original. It's not, but it's a cool song, and I think JB delivers it very well. Um, and then Tail Draggers, a Willie Dixon cover. That thing is just smoke and blues. I love mm-hmm. it. I love hearing Jimmy play like that. Um, definitely, I mean, this isn't... I'd say Dirty Side Down is the best record with Jimmy. Um this would be number two for me and street uh, free somehow would be number three, but I love Steven's cat on here too. Um, That's a good song. Just, yeah. It's a play on, it's a play on cat Stevens, you know, Steven's cat, cat Stevens. JB right. is a huge cat Stevens fan. And he even, you know, throws some imagery. He, he said he sort of modeled that song after, um, you know, lyrical stylings of cat Stevens. And he said, he, you know, hoped that uh, it would be appreciated, but um, that's a Jimmy Herring um composition primarily he came up with most of the riffing in that does a killer solo on the outro of it that i love 
Um, oh, and Jamais Vu, I'm probably saying that wrong. Jamais Vu, if it's, you know, French. That song is an important song to the band because it is basically a tribute to Gary Vereen, who was on their crew. Another, this band's had a lot of tragedy mm-hmm. in and around its circle. He committed suicide right after their 25th anniversary concerts in Athens, Georgia. He was the guy that was with them from day one. He's the guy you can hear on all the bootlegs doing their intros, you know, all the way from Athens, Georgia. Welcome, Widespread Panic. That's him saying all that. Well, I guess he had his share of troubles, and he passed away in 2011. And this song is really a tribute to him. It's um, I read an interview with JB where he said it actually means the opposite of deja vu. It mm-hmm. means um, instead of you know something you went through before, it's something um, that you can't believe is actually happening, and the world has changed, just like the, the lyric says. So, I think if there's a lot of depth to that song, if you listen to it, um, that's a cool yeah. piece of um, trivia that I didn't know. Yeah. It is cool. Yeah, definitely. All right. Eight years since we've had a proper studio album. During the quarantine, they released a song called Sundown Betty. Mm -hmm. And in the last couple of weeks, they have played a couple of new tunes. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be a new album. But at this stage of the career, I hope that they at least give us one more. Because I think the band sounds the best they've sounded since Mikey died right now. I agree with you. And I have to think they're going to, that's one thing about them is like, they'll like you say that they're, they're tight lipped. Like the street dogs record came out of nowhere in that thing of 2015. They just had like eight new songs that they premiered and nobody even knew they were in the studio. They just premiered a new one in Mexico this past January called tackle box hero. Mm-hmm. They got another one called Halloween face that they've been playing for, the better part of six months. So I know there was an interview I read with Dave schools before COVID hit that said they to the studio and then COVID happened. So that obviously never happened, but I'm really hopeful that they can crank one more out, at least one more, you know, they want to, I mean, they're a bunch. They keep writing songs. They're on the road. I mean, it just makes sense. I, I hope it's like, like, like you said, in September, it'll be eight years. So hopefully it happens soon. You catching them anytime soon? Uh, I have no plans to currently, just because they're not really anywhere in reasonable driving distance for a while. Um, Man, I offered do... you a, I offered you a free room and a free ticket for two and nights, and you, and you turned me down. We have a family wedding that weekend. Believe me, I was like, "There's other weddings fa- you can go." We didn't to. have a family wedding that weekend. I'd be coming, believe me, because I'd love to see them. I'd love to see them down there somewhere because I'm sure it's a different atmosphere, different vibe. Um, they're doing such great destinations every year. Now they do the St. Augustine's in Florida. Mm-hmm. They do, um, you know, obviously Red Rocks. I'd like to see them in Vegas. They do Vegas every year. Now I think that'd be a hell of a fun way to spend a weekend, but it's just, um, it's a lot of commitment, you know, got to do it. Whenever they play Mississippi, Jojo always gets to, gets an extra song or two. Oh yeah. And, uh, and, and, and really, um, and sometimes they'll break out some, some rarely played things, but uh, first of all, I appreciate you taking some time out to come and talk about this band. Uh, they're not as beloved in the Crows community as I would like, but uh, they do have some crossover. We didn't talk about Dave Schools. Uh, he yeah. um, was in uh, Hardworking Americans with Neil Casal. Mm-hmm. Neil was in Hardworking. Well, I'm I'm drawing a blank oh, yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. no, definitely. And and obviously being a Georgia band, uh, Chris has set in with them before. I know he set in with them oh, yeah. in Memphis. Uh, Dave mm-hmm. Schools, we didn't mention him, bass player. He's very integral to their sound. 
to me, the thing that sets Widespread Panic apart from so many of those other bands is the groove that they have. Yeah, I would say to anybody who's not familiar with the band, if you are looking for a band that you can have a, you know, the way Deadheads obsess about the dead and the way Fish fans obsess about Fish, if you're looking for an obsession band and you can get into them, they're a great band for that because they've got 30 years of live shows. Um, everything from 2005 to present time is on nugs.net in pristine soundboard quality. Um, and they released a ton of archival stuff, soundboard performances. I mean, this is a band you can go nuts with, log and set lists, chasing songs, um, just really, you know, they've got so much history under their belt now with the different eras. I mean, they're a, they're, a, and they're still doing, they're only in their early 60s. So, I mean, they're going to be like one of these bands that goes till they drop. You know, they are. I mean, they're not going away anytime soon. And well, they they tour discovered this smartly. They've discovered this model of touring now where it's so easy on them. They only play 40 or 45 shows a year where they used to play a hundred and some, you know what I mean? Like and it's, probably only play and they 20 don't travel cities. as much. Yeah. That's the thing. They make, they make the fans come to them now. So, I mean, they're not burning themselves out. Um, they're just in a really good spot in their history. And I hope they just keep going, man. Love. All right. Give me a song to play us out. Oh man. Any panic song to play us out. Let's do, uh, Let's do. How about we'll take something off their most recent album? Why not? We'll do a tail. Well, let's let's do tail dragger. Little blues. All right, Heavy do blues. a little tail dragger. All right, everybody. Mm-hmm. My thanks to Sam again for coming on. I always love talking widespread panic. I I feel like he does too. Uh, Chris and I'll be back with you soon. Take care. Mm-hmm.